Good morning. We continue in our series this morning on the local church. And I think over the past eight weeks, uh, we've covered the major themes of the church. Uh, We've talked about what the church is. We've talked about the primacy of preaching in the life of the church. Uh, The elders and deacons of the church. Baptism and the Lord's Supper as the two ordinances given to the church. And then last week we talked about uh, membership in the church and the discipline of the church. And so I think it's been a really fruitful summer for our body as we've carefully considered and studied these different aspects of the local church and as we strive to conform to God's will in those areas. So we are nearing the finish line here, uh, but we're not quite done yet. Uh, Before we get back to the Gospel of Luke, uh, there's just a a few more aspects of the church that I do want to cover. Uh, And this morning, I want to talk about something that Uh, We spend a lot of time on in our worship gatherings, but most of us probably don't think about intentionally too much, and I'm referring to singing, to congregational singing in the church. You think about any given Sunday morning in uh, our church, uh, in the gathering of the saints here, uh, we sing a lot. Right, like in terms of total minutes in the service that we devote to it, uh, it's the second biggest aspect of our worship services, second only to the preaching of God's word. And we did spend a whole sermon on preaching, right, what it is and why it's so important. And so I think we ought to similarly consider, think carefully about congregational singing. Like why do we sing as a church? And when the church sings, do I have to sing? What exactly are we doing when we sing? Uh, Is congregational singing just a way to kill some time until the sermon so that the people who come late will be here in their seats by the time the preacher starts preaching? Or does it have some other purpose? And why do we sing the songs that we sing? I think all those are important questions for us to ask and hopefully answer from the Word of God. And so that's our goal for today, right? To study from the scriptures the doctrine of singing. But first, and as always, let's pray together. Let's ask that God would help us as we look to his Word. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ our only mediator, uh, the one whose death and resurrection has reconciled us to you and made it possible for us to approach you. We thank you, Father, for the voices that you have given to us and the gift of music that you have given to us that we might sing your praises. We pray that in this, as in all things, we as a church would be directed first and foremost by your word. And we pray that studying this topic would cause your people to sing more boldly, to sing more joyfully, to sing more thoughtfully, to sing more passionately than we have before, that we might demonstrate to one another and to outsiders that you are a God who is worthy of our praise. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So what does the Bible have to say about singing? Well, a lot, actually. And so we're going to be all over the Bible this morning, uh, but primarily I'm going to be drawing on the two kind of main New Testament passages which address congregational singing, and those are Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3. And so uh, turn to those sections of the scriptures. Uh, Let me start by just reading these two passages. So Ephesians 5, I'm going to start in verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Have you ever noticed that singing, and especially singing with others, how it's a very foreign concept in our culture. Not that our culture isn't into music. Uh, it certainly is. Uh, but it's about, more about consuming and listening to and kind of passively engaging with music. Right, singing isn't all that common. And singing in groups, well, that's almost non-existent. Like, I can really only think of two common scenarios when non-Christians in our culture will gather together to sing. One is when it's someone's birthday, right? Everybody participates when we sing happy birthday. And two is when you're at the ball game and it's the middle of the seventh inning and everybody stands and everybody sings, take me out to the ball game. Apart from that, Like maybe if you're at a concert or something like that. But apart from that, in terms of like regularly occurring participatory singing, like it's hard to think of too many more examples from the culture around us. And that's not just true of the uh, secular and irreligious folks out there. Uh, Even other world religions, right? By and large, they don't gather and sing together. But Christians, Christians sing. But why? Well, for one, Christians sing because God has commanded us to sing. Uh, By one count, there are some 50 direct exhortations in the scriptures for the people of God to sing. For example, Psalm 47, 6, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. Sing praises, sing praises, sing praises, sing praises. Right? That is not one of those verses where, you know, you've got to crack open the commentaries and read the various interpretations of what people think that verse means to come to an understanding. Like, it is pretty clear God's people are to sing praises. And in the New Testament, right, we've already seen the church at Ephesus, the church at Colossae, they're commanded to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. 
And so for one, uh, Christians sing because we are commanded to. But two, Christians sing because Christians are those who desire to be like God, to be godly, and our God is a singing God. Uh, Zephaniah 3.17 refers to God as one who will exult over you with loud singing. What did Jesus do with his disciples uh, the night that he was betrayed? When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. What does Hebrews chapter 2 tell us about Jesus? This is Christ speaking about himself in reference to Psalm 22. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And so Christians also sing because we worship a God who sings. So Christians sing because we're commanded to. Christians sing because our God sings. But most of all, Christians sing because they have something to sing about. Look again at those verses in Colossians 3. And I want you to notice here the repeated theme of giving thanks. Verse 15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so the instruction for God's people to sing well, it's tucked right into the middle of three verses that three times talk about how God's people ought to be thankful to him. And that makes sense because singing is the natural response of a heart that's filled with thanksgiving because of the great things that God has done for us. Uh, look at how David puts it in First Chronicles 16.9. Uh, sing to him, sing praises to him. Why? Well, tell of all his wondrous works. And we see that theme throughout the scriptures. For example, God saves his people from slavery in Egypt, right, the miraculous parting of the Red Sea. What do the people do in response? Exodus 15.1, Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord. Why? For he has triumphed gloriously. And so they sing. And when God defeated Sisera and the Canaanites in the book of Judges, uh, what do Deborah and Barak do? Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. God's people sing. And if God's people sing in thanksgiving for the Red Sea, and if God's people sing in thanksgiving for the defeat of the Canaanites, well, how much more should God's people sing in thanksgiving for the greatest deliverance? Right? The one to which all other deliverances point, referring, of course, to the deliverance that comes through the gospel. Friends, we were wretched rebels who had sinned against the holy God, deserving absolutely nothing but the wrath to our sins, we deserved an eternity in hell for all the sins that we've committed against the holy God. But God, in love for sinners like us, he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. And that Jesus 
died on a Roman cross, not for his own sins, for he had none, but for the sins of his people. He takes upon himself all of the sins of God's elect, all who would repent and believe, and in exchange he gives them his perfect righteous record. And so for now, all who have trusted in Christ, like we don't have the eternal condemnation of hell awaiting us. Instead, we have the eternal glories of heaven. Right? To be in God's presence where lies the fullness of joy, right? that's what we have to look forward to. And so that's why God's people sing. Because of the gospel. The gospel is what puts this new song in our hearts. The gospel is what gives us hearts of thanksgiving where that God would display his great love to us, unworthy sinners. Well, singing is just a natural response to that great truth. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. And when I think... That God, his son, not sparing, sent him to die. I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. And what is the response to that? Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. Dead people don't sing. Right? Spiritually dead people they have no song in their hearts. That's why the world doesn't sing. But those who've been made alive by the gospel, they can't but sing. All that to say, singing is not an optional part of the Christian life. Like singing is not something that like some Christians do and some Christians just don't do it. It's not something that's just reserved for like, you know, the really committed and really passionate, like level 10 believer, right? The rest of us are exempt. No, every Christian sings. Not, not as a forced obligation, not as this like reluctant duty that I must do, but as an overflowing of the thanksgiving that's already in your heart because of God's wondrous works in your life, particularly the gospel of his son. Some of us might like singing more than others. And certainly some of us are better at singing than others. Like there is a big difference between Franklin and Harry Fujiwara. Right? But all of us who are God's people, right, all of us who are the redeemed, all of us who are thankful for the gospel, all of us must sing. And so friend, if you are a Christian who never sings. Like Sunday after Sunday, you come and you stand and you just refuse to sing. Well, maybe you just didn't know any better, but now you do. Or maybe it's an issue of being disobedient, right? Just disregarding clear scriptural admonishments. And maybe it's an issue of pride, right? You're just too self-conscious to sing around other people. Maybe you're unthankful. Whatever it is, you need to repent and you need to sing. Or maybe, just maybe, right, the fact that you never sing and the fact that you have no desire to sing, the fact that there is no song in your heart, 
Well, perhaps it reveals that you've never actually experienced a salvation worth singing about. Every Christian sings. It's now that we've hopefully established the kind of centrality and importance and necessity of singing in the believer's life, I want to think through some specific aspects of like what we're doing when we sing. Because we do it so often, we typically sing, I don't know, five or six songs each Sunday. Uh, Congregational singing can easily become this thing that's kind of mindless and, and routine and we just do it because we're supposed to do it in the life of our church. Well, unless we intentionally think it through. And so let me give you six observations on the biblical doctrine of singing. Uh, six points. Some of them are going to be long. Some of them, some of them are going to be shorter. Uh, but all of them, I hope, uh, will provoke thought and be helpful for us as we think through this topic. So point number one is to sing to the Lord. Ephesians five nineteen, singing and making melody to the Lord. Colossians 3.16, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The scriptures are clear. Our songs are to be directed first and foremost to God. Psalm 68.4, sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him. When I give a gift to my wife, I'm primarily concerned with what she thinks about the gift. It would be really selfish and it would kind of defeat the purpose if I somehow made the gift that I was giving to her all about myself. Well, in the same way, if we understand that our songs, our singing is primarily directed to God... Well, that should guard our hearts against this tendency to make singing and uh, worship music all about us. Do I like this style? Do I like the instrumentation? How does this song, how does this singing make me feel? Now, those are not completely irrelevant or unimportant questions, but they're entirely secondary questions. The primary question is, is God being honored through this singing? Because our singing is for him and to him. So point number one, sing to the Lord. But closely related to that, and our second point, sing to one another. Point number two, sing to one another. And so yes, singing is primarily vertical. It's primarily an act of worship to God. But there's also a very important, like, horizontal aspect to singing, right? We sing to one another, specifically congregational singing. Looking at Ephesians 5, addressing one another, one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so there is this really important, uh, perhaps overlooked aspect of congregational singing, right? The one another aspect. And so in that, in that sense, uh, congregational singing is just like every other aspect of our congregational worship gathering, right? Like I've said this several times in this sermon series, but I'll say it again, right? What happens when we gather together as a church? Uh, it's not 
just each of us kind of having our own quiet time with the Lord while we're all in the same room. It's us being united together as one body to mutually edify and encourage each other through our worship directed to God. And that same thing happens in congregational singing. The whole is just greater than the sum of its parts. Because it's not a hundred different voices singing to God. It's a hundred different voices singing to God and to one another. And so friends, when we sing congregationally, like I hear your voice and I'm encouraged to hear you singing joyfully to the God who saved you. And you hear my voice and you likewise are encouraged. And I sing glorious truths to you. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. And you sing glorious truths to me. What is our only confidence? That our souls to him belong. And so in doing that, right, we are teaching and admonishing each other with these truths that we're singing. And so we're mutually built up as the body of Christ. And so congregational singing... It's just a beautiful picture of the unity that we have in Jesus. I mean, think about it. We, we come from all kinds of different backgrounds and different families and different lines of work. And with regards to music, right, we have different musical preferences. We have different musical abilities. But we all come together and we sing the same song because we've been saved by the same Christ through the same gospel. And so congregational singing is this beautiful expression of the unity of Christ's church because of the gospel. Point number two, sing to one another. So point number one, sing to the Lord. Point number two, sing to one another. That's who we're singing to. How about what we're singing? Well, let's consider point number three, sing biblical truths. Colossians 3.16 let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so you see the emphasis there on the truth. Right? The word of Christ that dwells in us richly and that then expresses itself in our singing. Which means that the lyrics, the content of the songs that we sing, well, that matters a lot. Right? Our songs must be grounded in biblical truth. They have to be gospel-centered. They have to be Christ-exalting. And so the most important thing about the songs that we sing, uh, it's not the rhythm. It's not the melody. It's not the instrumentation, although those do all contribute to the whole. But the most important thing is the lyrics that we sing. Do the lyrics, does the content of what we're singing, does it allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly? Do the lyrics, the, the content of what we're singing, uh, do they allow us to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, right, with biblical truths? And so let's just think about one of the songs that we sang this morning, just as an example. Uh, how firm a foundation is a him written in the 1780s. Uh, it, is, it is beautiful. Right? It is very singable. But most importantly, 
It is a richly biblical song with glorious truths contained in it. And so the song is based on 1 Corinthians 3.11. Right? No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so how firm a foundation is Christ and his word. And then some of the verses in the song are basically paraphrases of scripture. The second verse, right? Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed. That's basically a paraphrase of Isaiah 41.10. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, right? That verse, and then the next one about fiery trials, uh, those are paraphrases of Isaiah 43.2. And then we finish by singing of Christ and his work, right? The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose. And then we remind each other, right? We're singing to one another. We remind each other of the glorious truth that we see throughout the scriptures that God will neither leave nor forsake his redeemed. And so as far as song selection goes, uh, we can sing a wide variety of songs. Right? Some of the songs we sing are fast and some of the songs we sing are slow. Uh, Some are more triumphant. Uh, Some are more reflective. Uh, Some were written a thousand years ago, right? Like all creatures of our God and King. Uh, Some were written 500 years ago, like a mighty fortress is our God. Uh, Some were written this decade, right? Like it was finished upon the cross. But what they all have in common is biblical truth. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, right? There is a, a variety, a diversity of what we sing, but what they all have in common is the word of Christ. So the songs that we sing, well, they need to faithfully reflect the great truths of the scriptures. For example, our songs should contain the truths of God's character, right? Like who he is. He is a holy and just and righteous and transcendent God. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty God in three persons, blessed Trinity. And our song should contain the truths of Jesus Christ, that the Son of God took on human flesh to save us. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. And they should contain truths about our sinfulness. Would he devote that sacred head For such a worm as I. And they should contain truths about the love and the mercy of a holy God for sinners like us. As I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. They should contain truths about the wonders of substitutionary atonement, right? Christ dying in our place. Come behold the wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree. In the stead of ruined sinners hangs the lamb in victory. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Our song should contain truths about the glorious resurrection, right? That Christ did not stay dead, but he rose to defeat death and sin forever. There in the ground his body lay, Light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. Now that's not to say that every single song has to contain every single one of those elements. And it's also not to say that our song set on any given Sunday has to contain every single one of those elements. 
But our songs as a whole, right, like the body of songs that our church sings from week to week, well, it should draw our minds to each of these key truths of the scriptures from time to time. So point number three, sing biblical truths. And that relationship, right, between singing and the truth, it goes both ways, right? Because not only do we sing songs that reflect the truth of God's word, but it's also the case that God's word then informs and enriches our singing. And so as we learn the glorious truths of the faith through Christ-centered, God-exalting, biblical preaching— Well, the words that you sing then mean more because you now have a deeper and richer understanding and appreciation of the theological truths that lie behind them. For example, one of my favorite songs is Before the Throne of God Above. It's just so rich. The lyrics are so good. Well, there's a line in there that I always sang, One with himself, I cannot die. And I sang that for years, and I never really understood the meaning of what I was singing until I heard a sermon on union with Christ, right? What it means that a believer is united to Christ, right? One with Christ, one with himself. Then I understood what it was that I was singing. One with himself, united to Christ, I can't die because Christ lives forever, and in the power of his indestructible life— Well, I, as one who's united to him, I am also going to live forever. And so, yes, we should sing the truth, but also that truth then enriches our singing. Point number three, sing biblical truth. Going hand in hand with that is point number four, sing passionately. Remember the conversation that Jesus had with the woman at the well? He says, those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. They were not talking about congregational singing, but I think we can apply the principle, right? We must worship God in our singing, in spirit, and in truth. And we just consider the truth part. And so now let's think about what it means to worship God in spirit. Sing to him in spirit. I think sometimes... Uh, perhaps in response to what's happening in a lot of like charismatic and uh, secret-sensitive churches, right, where the experience is overemphasized to an unhealthy degree, well, us Reformed people, we can go too far the other way, and we begin to see singing as like this emotionally detached, like entirely intellectual, like truth is the only thing that matters kind of thing. Don't be bringing your passion and your emotions in here, right? We're about the truth. That's just not what I see when I read the Bible. Psalm 71, 23. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. Psalm 84, 2. My soul longs, right? There's this longing deep in his soul. It faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. So this goes back to what I said at the beginning, right? That for the believer, singing is just this natural outpouring of thanksgiving and praise to God. Like we are not reciting the digits of pi. Right? We're singing to and we're singing about a gracious and wonderful and merciful God who saved us and made us into his children. We're singing these awesome and glorious truths. Like how does that not stir up within us emotions? Emotions. 
And that's the heart, I think, that we see expressed in places like the Psalms. And so it's not truth versus emotion, right? Where there is necessarily a trade-off. I think that's a false dichotomy, right? Rather, it's truth that produces emotion. The truths of who God is, right? The truths of what God has done for us in Christ, right? Meditating on those truths as we sing lyrics that contain those truths, well, that's what moves and stirs the heart of the believer, Now, we don't want to fall into the trap of what we might call emotionalism, which is like pursuing feelings as an end in and of themselves. Like the goal is to uh, produce some kind of emotion or create some kind of trance or manufacture some kind of feeling right through the tempo or through the lighting or like mindless repetition or whatever it is. Emotionalism, if we want to call it that, that should be avoided. But emotions... Like emotions as a natural human response to singing about an awesome God and his wondrous works? Like absolutely. We need to be singing with emotion. We need to be singing passionately. I mean, when you sing a line like my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Like, and you're really meditating on those truths that you're singing? That every single sin that you've ever committed, past, present, and future, like every single sin has been nailed to the cross and Christ has died in your place that you might become God's child? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Like, that has to stir up emotions and affections in your heart. Friends, there is no reason that we should be surrounded by more passion and emotion at a professional football game than at a gathering of God's redeemed. So point number four, sing passionately. Point number five, sing anywhere and everywhere. Uh, Singing is something that is to come from our hearts, right? We've seen that in both Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, right? Singing and making melody to the Lord from your heart. And you remember what Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Like what is in the heart is going to come out of the mouth. I really love my wife from the bottom of my heart. Suppose I only expressed my affection for her once a week. That's it, once a week. And I told her how much I loved her just once a week. Well, you would say that that doesn't make any sense. Well, if we're making melody to the Lord with our hearts, and if the word of Christ is dwelling in our hearts richly, and if out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, or perhaps the mouth sings, Like, if there is this overflowing joy and thankfulness in our hearts, it just doesn't make sense if Sunday morning is the only time of the week that we're singing. Friends, we need to sing anywhere and everywhere. We need to sing in our homes. Parents, we need to sing with our children. We need to teach them the great hymns of the faith. Your home should be a place of joyful singing. We need to sing when we're alone, when we're, I don't know, running errands or going for a walk or cooking dinner. 
Like if the word of Christ has dwelled in us richly, if the gospel has captured our hearts, like that just needs to overflow throughout the week through a mouth of praise. Consider James 5.13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. If any, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. That's not talking about congregational singing any more than the first part of that verse is talking about congregational suffering. Right? It's talking about the believer just on his own, anywhere and everywhere, being cheerful. Think about what God has done for you and singing praises to God in response. And so sing anywhere and everywhere. Let me use just one example from the scriptures. You think about Paul and Silas. They're in the prison in Philippi. What are they doing? It's midnight. They're singing hymns to God from their jail cell. Here's something I never thought about until this week. As you read that account, why do you think, like after the earthquake, why do you think the jailer asks out of nowhere, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The only thing Paul says before that, at least that Luke has recorded for us, is do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Like, how do we get from that to, sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's a bit of conjecture, but I don't think it's too far-fetched. Isn't it likely that Paul and Silas, like whatever those hymns were that they were singing, that they were singing about the wonders of their salvation, the glories of their God, the sweetness of their Savior, like with passion and zeal and fervor, so that the jailer had already heard over and over and over about the salvation of which he now asks, Sir, was, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So Paul and Silas, they sang anywhere and everywhere, including at midnight in their jail cell, and God used that. Point number five, sing anywhere and everywhere. So sing to the Lord, sing to one another, sing biblical truths, sing passionately, sing anywhere and everywhere. And lastly, point number six, sing expectantly. Brothers and sisters, when you sing, when we sing, we ought to be singing expectantly. Like knowing that the songs that we're singing what we're doing now, it's just a foretaste of what is to come. It's a small foretaste of the songs of heaven, right? Myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands gathered together, all of God's redeemed. They're going to be singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing. Oh, that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face, full arrayed in blood-washed linen, how I'll sing thy sovereign grace. And friends, think about that. There is going to come a day when you will be freed from sinning. There will come a day when God's enemies are fully and finally subdued. There will come a day when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And God will dwell with us 
and we will be his people and he will be our God and what are we going to do on that day? What are we going to do just as the natural response to the overflow of our hearts, seeing God's glory face to face, unhindered by sin, right? Faith turned to sight. What are we going to be doing? Friends, we are going to be singing. Oh, and we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Brothers and sisters, that day is coming. For all of God's redeemed, that day is coming. And so in anticipation for that day, let's sing. Let's sing joyfully, right? Knowing that our future singing has been secured by the eternal wounds of Christ. And let's sing expectantly, knowing that our best songs, they're yet to come. Point number six, sing expectantly. Let me close by saying two things just specifically to this church. So if you are visiting with us this morning, uh, I hope that what we've gone through today, I I hope that's been helpful for you as you kind of think through congregational singing and then you think about it in light of your own church in the context of your own local church. Uh, Right now, I am just speaking uh, to the members of this church, right, First Baptist Church. Two things. Number one, dear church, I want you to know that as a whole, right, like as a congregation, I, as your pastor, am very, very encouraged by your singing. Like as a congregation, you sing well. You sing loud. You sing passionately. And so let me exhort you with just everything that I have to continue in that, right? To continue to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. But we also need to remember that a congregation is made up of individuals. And so maybe the congregation sings well, but you as an individual, well, you don't really sing. Or you tend to tune out during the music. Or you're just singing the words off the screen, but you're not actually thinking about what it is you're saying. Well, friend, if that's you... I hope this sermon has been helpful for you. I hope it's been encouraging for you that you might grow as a singer and as a worshiper of God. And second, uh, dear church, I want you to be thankful for Hector and for Frank. Uh, They do such an excellent job with the music here. Uh, Like here are two brothers who are committed to all of the things that we discussed today. Like committed to congregational singing, uh, committed to singing songs that are based on deep biblical truths about God and his gospel, uh, committed to singing passionately and joyfully and exuberantly to our God who is worthy of all of our passion and joy and exuberance. And so I am thankful for all of you, right, the body of Christ here, you joyfully sing, and I am especially thankful for these two brothers who have labored so diligently and faithfully in leading the music here, and I hope, dear church, that you will join me in that thanksgiving by encouraging these two brothers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of song that you have given to your redeemed a song to sing, voices to sing, and hearts to sing, to make joyful melodies to, to you. Father, we pray that we would 
be a church that is just marked by joyful, exuberant congregational singing that is based on the truths of your word, that in all things you might be glorified and your saints might be strengthened. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.